0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing?
1: Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And this episode, we're interviewing Philip White. Now, Philip White is the composer for the latest Medea Homecoming film that is specifically on Netflix. So make sure to check that out if you're interested or if you're a fan of Medea. And we're going to go through his approach to composing music for film and television, and how he likes to come up with his ideas. With all that said, please enjoy my interview with Philip. how did you get involved with the Medea Homecoming?
0: Uh, so I've had the great pleasure to have worked, uh, on, the th- uh, three previous Tyler Perry movies, uh, before this. Um, I was brought on by Joel High, who's a music supervisor, and he's worked with Tyler Perry for years and he's his, uh, musical right-hand man. And he had previously worked with uh, a dear friend of mine, Chris Leonard's, and who's been a, a mentor and I've, I've known Chris for years. Chris had scored another one of Tyler Perry's movies. This would have been back when we did the first movie I did was Boo 2, a uh, Medea Halloween. Joel brought on Chris and me to uh, basically uh, work on it together. And from that moment on, it's, you know, I, th- I believe Chris might have uh, executive produced technically, mm-hmm. but it was uh, through Joel's relationship with Chris, who then knew me. That's it's a little convoluted way of saying that that's sort of how I came uh, to be brought into the, the TPS family, as it were. So um, A Medea Homecoming is my fourth movie. Uh, first it was, uh, like I said, it started with, with Utu, uh *Medea Halloween, Nobody's Fool, *Medea Family Funeral, and then that was supposed to be medea's exit but Mm -hmm. i think in light of the pandemic and just the general state of affairs of the world um tyler perry felt like she needed to make a comeback so um, (laughs) i'm very glad that she did (laughs) yeah because i think we could all use a good laugh right now so
1: she's been around for a while and she's pretty iconic at this point so yes. how do you get into, I guess, the mindset or the into the world, right? You basically you entered Tyler Perry's world, right, right? After
0: after she'd been, you're right, yeah. After she'd been around for uh, for a while, well, fortunately, it's uh, thanks to Joel, uh, the music supervisor. Mm-hmm. He's been involved since the beginning and understands Tyler's preferences and and what works in the movies and what doesn't work. So he shepherded me throughout the whole process, starting starting with Boo. And throughout all the other ones as well, just sort of what the general vibe is, whether it's instrumentation or tone, um, we knew sort of pretty early on what it needed to be. So again, because I've sort of brought in as a, I guess a relative latecomer, I said, "I, I, I'll you know happily do what whatever it needs." And um, it was it was basically uh, Joel's direction.
1: What would you say, because you you talked about working as a team here. So what were the influences for the music for Medea?
0: The score primarily had to serve, I would say, two purposes. First, obviously, underscore the comedy. Uh, And with this kind of broad comedy, you just just lean into it unapologetically. And for those moments, and those were supplied mostly by Medea and her entourage, um, I relied on the sound of a band. So we had drums, acoustic bass, electric bass, kind of alternating um, depending on the, the mood for each scene, uh, hand percussion, electric guitar, and keys, mostly playing uh, Hammond B3 and uh, Rhodes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was the sound of all the comedic beats, which just sort of provided a nice comedic underscore, for lack of a better way of putting it. And then the other function the score needed to do uh, was uh, underscore the intimate or, or tension-filled... Uh, moments with the family without giving anything away. There's just a lot that happens with various members of Medea's family. And it needed to just be sort of, and just needed to be uh, underscored in a, in a subtle way. And for that I used piano, 22 uh, piece string orchestra and a few woodwinds. Mm-hmm. Now there was one hilarious flashback scene that was an outlier for all of this. and. Uh, it was actually our music editor uh, Johnny Caruso's idea to try scoring it as if, because it takes place in the '50s. Mm-hmm. So he thought, "What if we scored this the way Bernard Herrmann might have scored Vertigo or North by Northwest?" As this, like, kind of a nod to '50s noir. It worked great. I, I, I think we all just really latched onto the idea, and it was super, super fun to compose. Um, and for that. The the tone and the instrumentation did change a little bit. Bernard Herman really uh, favored a lot of u- using groupings of low winds. Mm-hmm. So I used you know bass clarinet, alto flute, doubled on top of each other, harmonically denser string passages and brass as well. Which and brass actually is not featured in the rest of the score. The only orchestral percussion that is featured in the score is in this short three minute scene. Mm-hmm. But I think it ended up uh, working really well. And on the stage, the the sound engineers. Made it even more unique and of the time by what's called "futzing" it, which basically you 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 degrade the audio quality so that it sounds as if it's coming through once one really old speaker from the time. So I think it worked great.
1: Now you talked about mood in there, and I'm wondering because you know I've talked to colorists, and one colorist I know builds a mood chart or like a and so you can look at the script and almost see what the mood is supposed to be. Is, is there anything like that that you do to? get an understanding of the overall arc for the the film.
0: Wow. That's really cool. I I do kind of, but I don't work in color. And I think I should, I should (laughs) should take a cue from, um, from the colorist because yeah, that that actually sounds like a really interesting way in what I do sometimes is, and I certainly did it with um, that flashback scene when there's a lot of things that a lot of ground that has to be covered Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of emotional beats that have to be hit. I'll literally get a just a long piece of paper, plot out with my pencil just specific moments that where things change or things have to be addressed mm. somehow with the music. And I'll kind of just abstractly draw shapes and lines and swells and just sort of anything that comes to mind where I think the music should do translated visually. It's mm-hmm. very abstract and a lot of times who knows if it or how it even translates to what I end up writing, but it does provide me with um, a little bit of a way in, and also like you were talking about, like a sense of a broader arc or what what, what needs to happen to the music by the end. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's just pencils, just black and white, literally, you know, like abstract sketches um, yeah. along this timeline. But I should use colored pencils next time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Actually, what they do is they take a still frame from each scene and then put it up and then make notes underneath so they can just glance at the wall and see like a mood chart of where it's supposed to go. How do you like to work with the editors? Because the editors are going to put in the dreaded temp music. (laughs) Uh, And we want to make sure they don't people don't fall in love with it.
0: Sure. No, that's a great question. And, you know, dreaded, I mean, it's kind of it's a double edged sword because the temp, honestly, it can work. Uh, completely to my advantage or not it just it just depends how it's used and also really greatly depends at what stage i'm brought on board um Mm -hmm. in this case with uh, with homecoming johnny caruso our music editor he did the he provided the temp score the editors hadn't put in anything before that it was completely dry so he had put he had used actually some pieces that i had written from previous media movies Mm -hmm. And, and again it was just sort of to get a rough idea of where we think music might go and more specifically that one uh, three-minute flashback scene he had a very specific idea for that in this case it was not the editor it was it was the music editor who did it and it was actually very helpful because i didn't have a ton of time to score it i had about i guess about a month of writing and then two weeks to record and mix granted it wasn't a ton of music, but it's still, you know, something I just kind of had to buckle down and, and do it. So the temp did provide me with a very quick way in. Nobody was going to be married to the temp score because we, it's a shorthand that we all know, at least with our with our team and Sammy, another music supervisor who worked uh, alongside with Joel, who's great, and Johnny. All, all four of us just kind of knew what it needed to be. And the temp was kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's doing this, but at the end of the day, we'll, Start a little later, or we'll end a little earlier. Or actually, you know what? We need we need just a little sting on this transition here. So it wasn't a, a hindrance in the least, especially for the, the flashback scene. It was it was a source of inspiration. So it it really depends. It's just what you make of it. It can be your worst enemy or your best friend. Um, sometimes both. <laughs> um, But it's just a reality that that we have to work with, and it's it's totally fine. It can be difficult in some situations where, of course, everyone gets married to the, or gets Mm -hmm. very used to that sound. Many composers have been in that situation. Hopefully you can push through it enough to convince the filmmaking team, I know you've been with this for months, but give, you know, give this a try. It might feel very different at first, but, you know, listen to it a few times, and most of the time they, you know, you end up meeting somewhere in the middle. What were
1: some of the difficulties that you encountered creating the music for this film that people might not be aware of?
0: You know, fortunately, I, I was very lucky that that there were no hiccups, um, other than just a you know a a slightly shorter time frame to do it in. But but even that was 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 actually quite manageable. For, I mean, maybe because of that short time frame, what ended up happening is I think we we had our Sound mix. And then I think sometime later, yeah, I can't remember if it was opened back up or if they just extended this, the sound mix. And more music was added actually into a few different spots, which we hadn't planned for initially in the spotting, which is fine. That'll, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes when you watch something all the way through at the dub stage, you just sort of think, you know, it, it might be nice to have something here. Or actually, we don't need that there. So there were a few of those edits that took place after the fact. But that's kind of to be expected. So um, I feel pretty lucky that it went smoothly, but I expected it to, because we always have a really good time. Uh, it's it's always very easy working with Joel and, and uh, Sammy and, and, uh, and Johnny, so it was great. How do you, when you get on a project,
1: get on the same page as the director and start to figure out the sound that you're gonna create?
0: In an ideal world, I would be brought in at the same or at around the same time as cinematographers hired perhaps, or maybe around shooting so that I'll I'll read the script Mm -hmm. and I'll get a sense of just what it is on paper. Now, obviously cinema, it's a visual medium. So much can change and does and should from the script to the screen. But uh, I find that if I can write music just based on what I'm, feeling from the script and it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be long it could be you know three to five minute suite of two or three different ideas themes uh, and present that to the director if they like it that can actually serve as the quote unquote temp or at least in some parts obviously mm-hmm. you know it's, if it's only just a short amount of music they can't use that for the whole movie but it can, it can serve as, a, as an initial draft and and then their ears actually get used to it Hopefully, they like it. A. <laughs> if they don't, then it's fine. We just start over and try something else. But if they like it, then it can start to be incorporated into the editing process. And then the editor starts to get, you know, can start cutting to it. Everybody just starts gelling with with, with the music. So, um, in an ideal world, that's <laughs> how I'd uh, prefer to work. Obviously, that's not always or usually mm-hmm. not the case. A lot of it just, honestly, just starts with the spotting session, which is where. Uh, I'll sit down with the director and the filmmaking team and we, we watch the film all the way through, stopping and starting and figuring out where music should begin or end or what it has to accomplish. If there's a temp score as well, sometimes we might play it through with the temp. It's kind of up to the director or sometimes we'll play it through dry. And if we don't really know what should happen, we might reference the temp score as like an idea. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we'll end up doing what the temp does. It might even show us what we don't want to do, but it's at least it's something that you can kind of sink your teeth into. That's sort of how the conversation begins. And then after that, I'll go into my studio <laughs> and uh, just sort of tinker around and experiment, improvise, and eventually hopefully come up with something that, that's sticky. And, and at this point too, if I haven't already developed a theme, I mean, this would be the occasion to do it or themes, and write something, not necessarily to picture, I mean, may, perhaps to picture, perhaps not, mm-hmm. and show it to the director and just kind of see what he or she thinks at that moment, and then sort of go from there. Once the core of the music is approved, and once they, once they like the sort of overall vibe, even if not very much has been written, mm-hmm. once that gets approved, the rest kind of flows, ideally does flow a little more easily. If you just kind of start from the beginning without sort of having an, an, an overall view of the, the, the bigger picture, you end up chasing your tail and um, it can be kind of frustrating. So
1: we've worked on television and uh, feature film. So what are the big differences for a composer working on the two mediums?
0: So I had the good fortune of working uh, with Chris Leonard on Supernatural, which is a show on the CW, which mm-hmm. ran for 15 years, which is incredible. Um, so, so lucky to to have worked on that. I would say, you know, series could be viewed as just, you could view them as little mini films. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky enough, I guess, to be brought on board early and the showrunner or creator of the series has a very definitive idea of where the series will begin and or where a, where a season will begin and end, let's say, um, that can be super helpful in crafting the overall arc and the, individual episodic mm-hmm. arcs. The approach is very similar. It's just, you just sort of, your approach, you do what you do on a film, but on a very, very smaller reduced scale mm. and in much, much shorter time. <laughs> but in terms of the the overall approach, it's, it's pretty similar. Now, if you're brought on board in the very beginning and there's time, again, you could use, you could try similar approaches with a film, which is try out, you know, write a, a suite of sorts mm-hmm. and present it to the creators and have them plug it in put it up against picture if there is some and see how that works and and if it does then you're lucky then you can kind of use that as a guide also the thematic material can be smaller you can do more with you know smaller Mm -hmm. uh, chunks
1: now i have one last question that i like to ask everyone i interview what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch
0: oh my gosh (laughs) i mean guilty pleasure gosh uh i keep Coming back to this one, I just think it's so—it's just so well told, and the score is phenomenal, and the, the, the whole thing is um, the Fugitive. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, which is it might seem kind of random, but uh, every so often I, I do have kind of an itch for the suspenseful thrillers, and yeah. um, the way that one was crafted, yeah, it was just great. So yeah, good good question. I'm sure there's <laughs> more, but that's that's the one that kind of leaps to mind.
1: Well, thanks so much for letting me interview you today.
0: Oh my gosh, it's totally my pleasure, Gordon. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right,
1: well, uh, have a good one, eh? So that was my interview with Philip. I'd like to thank him for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.